with you again. Enjoyed the Sunday school hour as always, and it's just good to be with you. It, we, we're missing the, a bunch of young people, and I guess uh, it takes a time like this, maybe when we really stand up and take notice how large a part of our church is made up of youth, and we're grateful for every one of them. We miss them when, when they're not here, and we are thankful for those of you who remain. It's good to have you here. So, um, I don't know if this is strange or not, but it's true. My, my boys and I uh, love to cut firewood. It's, it, we have a good time doing it. We go out and we cut down a tree and we chop it up. And, and, um, and for whatever reason, they've, um, they've bought into this whole thing that firewood is, is, is fun, fun to cut. And so we go out and we have good times. And the other day we went out to cut up a tree and looked around, finally found a tree out there that looked as a nice big tree. And we thought, well, we'll cut this one down. And so we got all ready, and, and uh, one of the girls was along too, maybe two of them. And, and uh, so we cut down the tree, and, and um, it stood way back. And all of a sudden, I was cutting, and all of a sudden, I looked up in the tree, and I, I saw movement up there. And so I called them over. I hadn't cut the tree down yet because there was a flying squirrel had come out of the tree and it was up there. And it's not too often you see those in the daylight. Uh, they're a nocturnal animal. And those of you who have seen one, you know how they are. They're, they're small. They're just like a, oh, how, how would, they're, they're much smaller than a regular squirrel. And they look really neat. They've got these great big eyes. And, and there's something that's really neat about seeing them leap out of a tree and glide down. So I called them over, and they got all ready to, to watch this, and they sort of uh, were, were chasing it around. It took off and went flying through the, through the woods, glided down, and tore up another tree. And, and so they were all interested in this. Felt bad cutting down this tree where this uh, flying squirrel had its nest, but the tree was almost cut down already. Turned out it was hollow, and the tree came crashing down, and all of a sudden there were flying squirrels everywhere. It wasn't just one flying squirrel that tree there was a whole nest of them I didn't know that they did that that grown flying squirrels would all nest in the same tree but the tree was just it was it was hollow but it was also really sort of a, a dry tree lots and lots of little nooks and crannies and crevices for these flying squirrels to be in and uh, we saw the one and there were two and then there were three and um, tree was down couldn't do much about the tree anymore so we started started cutting it up and and the more we cut the tree the more squirrels came out of it. And at one point, uh, Travis got my phone and he was videoing these, these squirrels and, and all of a sudden a squirrel came tearing out of the tree, ran right up his leg. And uh, the video, if you watch it, it's all of a sudden the video is going this way and that way. Um, it's pretty busy there for a while. But he did, get the, he did get it flying through the trees then. There were 13 squirrels in that tree. I've never seen the likes. And um, it, was, it was sort of neat, but also felt really bad um, a whole colony of flying squirrels in that one tree, and we destroyed their home. Um, and I got to thinking, and so the, the title of the opening this morning is Hollow Trees or Everlasting Habitations. There's some parallels, I think, between flying squirrels and hollow trees and us sometimes. And I'd like to read a few passages that, um, that talk about this kind of thing. So, of course... Um, the first scripture that we think about is the wise man and the foolish man, right? So let's, let's read that. Matthew 7, 24. 
Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus said unto these sayings, people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. I'd, let's uh, have all the youngsters um, that normally come up front and sing here. Why don't you all stand up and let's sing the wise man and the foolish man, but everybody will help, but you, the, just the youngsters stand up, okay? So we'll start with, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up, and the house on the sand fell flat. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessings will come down. The blessings will come down as your prayers go up. Your blessings will come down as your prayers go up. The blessings will come down as your prayers go up. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. So what Jesus is saying is you hear these words... Hear his words. Everybody loves to hear the words of Jesus. Even people who, who didn't follow him like to hear him. He, he was followed by thousands and thousands of people. But it was those who heard and obeyed that were building their houses upon a rock. And there was those who listened, but it didn't, um, it didn't move them. Those were the people who were building on the sand. So the one was building in a hollow tree. The one was building in houses of everlasting habitation. And I'd like to look at some characteristics of hollow trees, hollow tree houses. And um, one thing that's noticeable if we go to um, if we go to a doctor, diagnoses work in two directions. One is a one is a um, if we're experiencing symptoms, it can it's prescriptive. We can say, well, this is this is a diagnosis of a condition. And um, so if you have, some of us have just been, been sick recently, so you say, well, you've got, a, you've got a sore throat, and you've got a headache, and you've got a runny nose, and you've got a cough. Well, this is, this is the condition you have. You've got a cold. 
um, that's, that's what's going on. And sometimes when it comes to spiritual diagnoses, um, we want to deny the reality. We want to de deny the diagnosis. And we can say, well, I've got a sore throat, and I've got a runny nose, and I've got a headache, but I don't have a cold. You know, it's his problem. The reason that I'm experiencing this is because over there, that person is doing this to me, and therefore, I have a headache and a runny nose and a cold, or a, um, a cough. And I, th I think that what Jesus says to us is that hear his word, pay attention, and let it sink in. Let the diagnosis, uh, or let, let the symptoms give you that, that diagnosis. Hollow trees. One of the hollow trees that people live in is reputation. And what do I mean by that? It's, uh, it's when we present something of ourselves to the world. And we say, this is who I am. And maybe what, what goes along with that? What are some of the, the symptoms that go along with, with, uh, having, with living in this hollow tree, this hollow tree of reputation? One of them is defensiveness. What happens if I'm challenged? If somebody says something against me or about me or I'm contradicted when I give, some, when I give an opinion, um, a hollow tree liver, a hollow tree dweller, is likely to respond with defensiveness and uh, quickly and, and angrily uh, defend his position or maybe even reflexively attack first. Um, look for other people whose reputation, reputation you can attack because that will keep your reputation intact. Somebody who lives in this particular hollow tree is going to feel mistrust of those around him and will, can never show weakness. You must never show weakness if you live in this hollow tree of reputation. And one of the things about hollow trees is that there are different kinds of hollow trees. The one that we cut down was a palace of a hollow tree. It was a beautiful dry place for 13 squirrels to live in. But there are other hollow trees that are not as nice. Uh, we've cut down trees that are just, you, you, you cut down these hollow trees, and um, those of you who cut fire would know what I'm talking about. They're full of sort of a, a gunky, wet muck that's in there. Not a nice hollow tree. This is a, the one that we cut down. is a beautiful hollow tree. And maybe you even, maybe you uh, even um, want to go beyond the hollow tree and you want to live in something stronger. Um, when we were in, in Europe, when we lived in Europe, uh, we were surrounded by castles. There were castles all over the place. And one of the interesting things about these castles is that most of them were in ruins. And at some point... Um, all these castles, some of them which had stood for hundreds and hundreds of years, there were very few castles that were not conquered after the advent of, of um, gunpowder and, and high explosives and, and uh, accurate cannons and, and so on. Um, these castles that had been built high on the cliffs or way up on top of mountains were suddenly susceptible to cannons being placed in the valley. And, you know, sometimes we, we graduate from the hollow tree to a castle. And we build it high in a hill, and we make the walls really strong, and, and we um, fortify it with all kinds of defenses, and we make sure it's really tough. But really, it's still just a hollow tree. And um, we might have a reputation of having a strong castle, but it's still built in reputation. Another, another hollow tree is, a, is the hollow tree of appearance. It goes along with, with uh, reputation, but it's, it's based on things like hypocrisy, and it's, it's uh, creating an appearance of something that isn't necessarily true. 
and, and we aren't as worried about the reality of things as we are in creating, uh, uh, presenting this appearance. It's a hollow tree. And one of the things about all hollow trees, all dwellers in hollow trees, is that they are afraid of chainsaws. And if you um, are living in this hollow tree, there is this fear of being found out. There's fear of chainsaws and, or of cannons in the valley, you know, if you're living in a glorified hollow tree, if you live in a castle. And the, um, then that's something that a person simply never, never go, that never goes away for this kind of a person, is this fear of chainsaws and who might possibly be wielding them. I had no ill will toward those squirrels. I felt really bad that I cut those, that, that tree down that had them in it. I, I didn't have any animosity toward flying squirrels, and yet I destroyed their home. And if you live in a hollow tree, there are people around you who don't mean to do you harm that will end up leaving you without a home simply because you live in a hollow tree. And the fact that they're carrying chainsaws around is a threat to you. Um, and that's the sphere of being found out, this appearance um, being discovered as, as simply a hollow facade. And there's this anxiety that goes along with this. So once again, diagnosis, um, looking at ourselves, am I anxious that people will find out that I am not who I present myself to be? Am I afraid to be real and honest? That's, that's, a, that's a hollow tree. Another hollow tree people live in is, the, is a tree of control. Um, it's my life, my circumstances, people around me. I need to control them. I need to, have, I, need to have a, I need to be able to say what's going on, when and where and how and why. And this is a, maybe a particularly anxious hollow tree because people and life is forever spinning out of our control. But there are periods of time in which people can, can feel like they've, like they've got some control over their lives. And, uh, but that's a, that's a tree that will ultimately... Uh, really leave us in the lurch, particularly uh, susceptible to windstorms, maybe. So don't live in that tree. And then uh, one of the most common ones is money and possessions used for self. When we are living in this hollow tree, we are, not, we are controlled by the things that we possess or we think we possess. And when we, when we live this way, we have this materialistic worldview and, and everything that we have, everything around us, including people, uh, people become objects to me. They are, they are objects of my success. Either they are a stepping stone for me or they are an impediment to me. And we view them materialistically as, as simply things to move around or things to be afraid of. Um, but when we've got this, this worldview, the objects that I value become less able to provide value even to me in my own selfish viewpoint, because I won't use them as vehicles of blessing others or as uh, blessing the kingdom of God. And so I won't receive blessing from them, from others or from God. And even though I hold these things in my hand, these means of receiving gratefulness, blessing, and fulfillment, I won't receive them because I'm just going to hoard them for myself and try to use them for myself. So it's the great irony of living, living in this hollow tree is that we can hold all these things Vehicles for blessing, and, and they will be useless to us. And then we've got everlasting habitations. And that, that uh, phrase, or that, that term, comes from Luke 16, 
verse 9, and it says, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. What's the difference between an everlasting habitation and a hollow tree? Well, for one, everlasting habitations are not afraid of chainsaws. They're not even afraid of cannons in the valley. They're not afraid of gunpowder. Of, of gunpowder. They're not afraid of missiles. They're not afraid of anything. They're everlasting. They're beyond the reach of those things that reach out and destroy hollow trees. And what are those things? What are those everlasting habitations? And I've got a, a list of a few things that I think create everlasting habitation. And Jesus said in his parable about the, about the wise man and the foolish man that uh, following him, listening to his commands, obeying them, that's, that's the difference. The first one I've got here is pursuing Christ. If you want to live in an everlasting habitation, and when I say everlasting habitation, I don't mean someday in the future that you will go to heaven and, and dwell in heaven. I mean live in one here. If you want to dwell in an everlasting habitation here, pursue Christ. And what does that mean? It means discovering that Christ is his own reward. If you pursue him, not for what he gives you, as in, will he give you a happy family? Will he give you a loving Christian brotherhood? Will he give you all these different things? But pursue him for him. When you pursue Christ for himself, he becomes his own reward. He is the reward if you receive him. To find Christ, though, is to find belonging. To pursue him is to find yourself in this place of a, of a lifelong quest. And it sounds like maybe you know, you're always searching, always looking. And yes, maybe so. But if... If uh, any, anybody who has engaged in a pursuit that is endlessly interesting um, knows what that feels like. It's, it's something that is, you just keep on pursuing, and you're, you are happy to keep up the pursuit. The pursuit in itself becomes the goal. To pursue Christ is to engage in a fulfilling, lifelong quest. And this kind of pursuit is what every person needs to live a fulfilling mortal life and it develops an eternal mindset. In a way, it brings a taste of heaven to our earthly experience because it places our home inside the kingdom of heaven now. That's pursuing Christ. That will give you an everlasting habitation, a place untouchable by chainsaws. Pursuing Christ creates true humility as we come to truly know him, which frees us from ourselves, frees us from the, the tyranny of self. So the question, taking it from theoretical to actual, and this is not intended to be, um, we talked this morning in Sunday school about self-absorption and self-evaluation when it becomes simply navel-gazing, when we're just staring at ourselves and trying to, to uh, redeem ourselves. But I think there is, uh, what Jesus says is that if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. So when, whenever we put a goal out there or an ideal out there, we have to step toward it if it's actually going to be real in our lives. So, pursuing Christ. How am I pursuing Christ? What are some ways in which I am actually doing that right now 
this day. Another way of, another place of living in an everlasting habitation or building an everlasting habitation is discipling ourselves to Christ. Discipling ourselves is an act of discipline. It's work. It requires following the pattern of Christ himself. And being a disciple of Christ, once again, that's, uh, it's very similar to pursuing him, and yet it, it involves maybe the nitty-gritty. Like in this moment, as I am tested or tried or tempted, what am I going to do? Am I going to discipline myself to follow Christ? Am I going to ask him to come in here in this moment and fight this battle for me? Am I going to say, Lord, help me here now? If we truly commit to Christ, to truly submit to him, submit to following the path that he laid out for us, that's a lifelong adventure in challenge, in discovery of the truth, in growth. Being a disciple of Christ means some paths are already predefined for us. There are some options that are simply not open. We cannot choose bitterness. We cannot choose gossip. We cannot choose to look down on those around us. There are some options that are really not options at all. If we're going to follow Christ, we're going to follow him in life as well as in word. There was that verse that we had this morning in Sunday school. um, The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. And if we truly believe that, we're going to live a life of discipleship. To truly walk in discipleship in Christ is to abide in him. To abide in him is to find ourselves truly at home, eternally home, eternally belonging, and we'll walk with that sense of belonging even in a shifting, changing, unpredictable world. How am I discipling myself to Christ? Everlasting habitations, building everlasting habitations involves carrying our cross. And this always comes with the understanding that we are carrying our cross after Jesus' cross, under his cross. He was both the required forerunner to our being able to engage in this process of cross-bearing, which means the process of resurrection. And it's also the pattern which our own cross-bearing follows. Cross-bearing involves a continual walk of repentance as we give up the things that hold us back. That's the walk of repentance. My giving things up so that I can reach forward. Carrying our cross requires death to ourself, and yet it is the gateway to true life, always. If we want new life, true life, it comes to the, through the avenue of the cross, of carrying our cross. Carrying our cross is a journey of joy, even in pain. And I think maybe that's something that is too often misunderstood, by, even by Christians, is that carrying the cross is a journey of joy. Because without it, without understanding what the cross is, um, All we see is the cross. All we see are the nails. All we see is the blood. But knowing Christ and his story and what he went through and then seeing him makes us realize that when he says, take up your cross and carry it and follow me, it's an invitation to the resurrection is what it is. So it's a journey of joy. Carrying our cross creates a perspective of hope even in the darkest places. And it's a story of redeemed lives Nested inside the ultimate story of redeemed souls. Carrying your cross now is going to result in a redeemed life now. The best life you could possibly live now. Inside the story of the ultimate redemption of our souls. 
How am I carrying my cross? Building an everlasting habitation become, involves becoming a servant, which frees us to partner with God in his eternal work. Becoming a servant engages our earthly life and our, and our resources and our abilities in a way that gives them meaning, blesses God, blesses others, and in turn blesses us. Becoming a servant frees us from the tyranny of self-interest with all that anxiety, with all that distrust, with all that, that um, defensiveness. And once again, if those are things that we feel, that anxiety, that distrust, that defensiveness, we need to examine where we're living, in a, in a hollow tree or in an everlasting habitation. Becoming a servant allows God, for reasons of his own that he hasn't entirely made clear, to build his kingdom by his methods according to his timing for his glory. Because he uses Christians to do that. He uses the church to do that. He uses you to do that. And he uses your brother to do that. Maybe even your brother with whom you stand a disagreement or, with whom, or of whom you know uh, that he's got some problems. He's using him too to build his kingdom. But when we truly give ourselves as servants to Christ, then he builds his kingdom with his people. Becoming a servant allows God to use all of us to bless and to encourage and to teach and to reprimand and to build up fellow believers, to reach out to the lost around us, to create, in fact, an enclave or a, a, a dwelling, an immortal dwelling, even in this world of mortality, of superficiality and of transience. God, God does that through us and with us when we become his servants. How am I becoming a servant? David Guzik um, says this about using our earthly possessions and our earthly things for Christ. He says, if we pursue the kingdom of God with the same vigor and zeal that the children of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. It could be said that it is to the shame of the church that Coca-Cola is more widely distributed than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simply, it is because the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. What are we using that God has given us to extend his kingdom, to reach out to those around us? Are we living with anxiety? Are we living in defensiveness? Are we truly allowing God to live in us and through us? Are we afraid of chainsaws, people around us, somebody who might cut us down? Or is our home where we're living beyond the reach of those kinds of things that frees us to simply enjoy and appreciate and love God for who he is? Are we pursuing him with everything we've got? What kind of homes are we building? Hollow trees or everlasting habitations? Shall we kneel for prayer?